Thanks, Joe. Yeah, you know, over these past weeks, we've been working through the book of John, uh, really looking at what the life of Jesus looks like. Today, we are in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get to John 11, or if you have that Dwell app or Uversion app, you can go ahead and get there. Of course, I'll always put some stuff up on the screens for you, too. But we're going to start in the latter part of John chapter 11 today, not at the beginning, and you'll know why in just a moment. So starting in verse 45, actually, of John 11, this is what it says. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now, what's, what's the this that this is all about? The question I ask is, what just happened that led many people to believe in Jesus. Well, if you were here with us on Easter, we looked at the first half of John 11, which is why I'm kind of glancing over it today. However, if you weren't with us on Easter, let me give you just a quick crash course of what was happening. Jesus was good friends with a man named Lazarus. He and his sisters, Mary and Martha, in fact, they were such good friends, Jesus considered them to be like his family. And we learn that Lazarus has, has died. It, it was a heart-wrenching death, and it has a good ending. But the sisters here, they were heartbroken over the loss of their brother. So they went to Jesus with their grief over his loss. And they had no idea at the time that Jesus was about to do something miraculous. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Incredible. They didn't know that. They went to Jesus with their grief, and Jesus responded to them in two very different ways. So when Mary came to Jesus, he responded to her. It tells us in 1135 that Jesus wept. He gave Mary his presence. He didn't go to Mary and try to fix it. He didn't tell her what she should do. He didn't do all those things. Instead, he just was with her. He cried with her. He spent time with her. He cared for her. He gave her his presence. But then we see Martha comes into the picture, and Jesus responds to Martha a little bit differently. Instead of giving Martha his presence, he gave her a promise. And this is what he promised her, starting in verse 25. It says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Then he goes on. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. That is his promise. And after he makes this promise, then he asked Martha this question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? So of course the question Jesus asked was geared towards Martha but truthfully, it's a question for all of us in this place. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe that he holds the promise and the keys to eternal life? Do I believe that he truly defeated the grave like we just sang about? Do I believe this? Well, John records here in chapter 11 that many, many people believed. Many, many put their faith and trust in Jesus after they experienced the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. The crazy thing here is, is that not all people believed. Far from it. Isn't that, like, that stun you a little bit? I mean, to think that these people were there, 
with Jesus. They witnessed, they saw him do something incredible. They saw a man rise from the grave, and yet some didn't believe. Now they had reasons, not great reasons, but they did have reasons for this, because the story goes on to tell us this in verse 46. Some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. They gathered everyone together. And why did they gather them together? Well, because of this. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. As we've looked through John, we see that that Jesus performs many miraculous signs. And we know those signs point to something happening more than just the miracle itself. It points to something far greater. In fact, this commentary says this about these miracles. He says, A sign is an event which is regarded as having some special meaning, something which points to a reality with even greater significance. So what this means is every single time Jesus would heal someone, or every time Jesus would defy the laws of nature as you and I know them to be, it all was to point to something far bigger, far greater. God was bringing his heavenly kingdom here to earth. So when the religious leaders ask this question, what are we going to do? You know, it should happen. They should celebrate Jesus. They they should fall to their feet, their knees. They should, because everything they had been waiting for was finally coming. Everything they had read in the Jewish scriptures was finally happening. It was coming true. It should lead them to fall to their knees. It should lead them to worship. It should lead them to honor him and celebrate him. It should lead them to worship. It should. But it didn't. And I think, why for us? It should for us too. So why doesn't it? Well, I can tell you why for these leaders, because verse 48 tells us why they didn't fall down and worship. It goes on like this. They said, if we allow him, which always makes me laugh, like they're going to allow Jesus to do and Jesus can do anything he wants to do, but whatever makes him feel good. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Okay, what's the problem? The problem. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So here what's happening is these leaders, they are making it all about themselves. Somehow they think that the Roman army is going to come in and they're going to take them out because of the attention that Jesus is drawing and attracting. Somehow they believe that Jesus was a threat to their own personal kingdoms that they personally built, and they were worried about it. And there, and there it is. Instead of planning a celebration to honor Jesus and worship him, instead of doing that, instead we read the next words, which were diabolical and horrible. It says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. I go, how, how could these religious leaders who are supposed to be experts in 
Jewish scripture. How could they get this so wrong? To me, which made me scratch my head and go, man, how could I get this so wrong? How could we? Well, I'll answer that in a moment. But for now, I know how they missed it. And we can put a lot of blame here on a guy named Caiaphas. It goes on to say, Caiaphas, who was a high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. So Caiaphas here, he's serving as high priest, which means he holds the highest religious position over all of the Israelites. He is the guy that is most respected, maybe I should say most feared. He is the guy whose voice is above all other voices. People listen to Caiaphas. They trusted him. And Caiaphas believed that the way of eliminating the threat would be to eliminate Jesus, get rid of him. In fact, he says as much in these next verses. He says, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. Okay? So in, in, in his mind, Caiaphas has the solution here. He says, we'll just, we'll just take out Jesus. We'll just get rid of him. Because if we get rid of him, then he believed that he could mitigate the threat of the Roman army to protect their power, to protect their, their status. It was a solid plan. It was a decent plan. Eliminate the problem. Get rid of Jesus. But this is what I love. This is what I love because Caiaphas had a plan. But so did God. And God was working out his plan at the same time. In fact, listen to what John wrote in the very next verse. John says this, and not, oh, excuse me, I skipped a verse. Let me read it to you. He did not say this on his own, it says. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy. He was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And then it says, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. God was working out his plan, get this, through Caiaphas. So when Caiaphas spoke about Jesus, he thought, he thought his cold-hearted plan was for murder and he would eliminate the problem for his people. But what he didn't realize that was that God was working out his plan too and that God would use Caiaphas's words to not eliminate a physical problem for the nation, but instead to solve a spiritual problem for the entire world. This is checkmate Caiaphas. And I love this. This is a whole other message in and of itself because that just goes to show that God can use anyone he wants at any point in time for whatever his purpose. But again, I, I can't get into that today. So that, study that on your own time. We've we'll, we'll, we got to stick to this. So I read this story thinking about this, this passage of Scripture this week. It, I found it, and it's about a man. His name was Maximilian Colby. If you've not heard of Maximilian Colby, you probably haven't. Well, you should. And I want to I tell you about him today. Because Maximilian, he was a Polish Catholic priest. In fact, he's better known as prisoner number 16670. This is the, the number that he received at the Auschwitz concentration camp. This blows me away. 
So the story goes that in August of 1941, this prisoner in the camp went missing. Well, as you can imagine, the camp commander was not happy about a prisoner going missing. And so as a result, he decided that he would select 10 other prisoners to die for the loss of the one. So he chose 10. And the story goes that one of the men who was selected to die actually stepped forward and cried out to the guard and said, please, I have a young wife and family. Please don't do this. Well, Colby, Maximilian here, he heard this man's plea. And so Colby stepped forward to speak to one of the German guards about the situation. And it goes like this. The German guard actually said to Maximilian Colby, he said these words. He said, what do you want, Polish pig? Why did you leave your place? To which Maximilian responds back to the guard and says this. I want to take the place of one of the men. He has a family, a wife, and children. I'm a Catholic priest. I am alone. Maximilian stepped in, and the German guard reluctantly obliged, and the story goes that eventually Maximilian Kolbe died in place of the other man with the family. And he died a hero. Now this, this struck me because Yes, Maximilian was brave and, and selfless. I mean, he didn't think twice about stepping in and giving up his life so that someone else could live. That astounds me, but I think what struck me even more was thinking, man, this sounds a lot like Jesus. It sounds a lot like what... Jesus would do because Jesus left the comforts of his home in heaven to come here. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. He came here and he came here on purpose for a purpose. He was on a rescue mission. And you and I are the ones that need rescued. And the only way, the only way Jesus could accomplish this was not just for him to come for us, but he had to step in and die for us. To which I've often wondered, why? Why did it have to be this way? Why couldn't there have been another way? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, around the 8th century B.C., a prophet named Isaiah, he has a book in the Old Testament of our Bibles. And in chapter three, 53, Isaiah tells us exactly why this had to be like this. And he says these words. He says, he was pierced for our rebellion. And he was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You see, Jesus is both God and man who is perfect and righteous and without sin. And Jesus steps in and says, I want to take their place. Put me in so that they can live for eternity. I want to be their substitute. 
I will take their place because the only way you and I can live in eternity with a perfect God is if you and I are perfect. Now, here's my problem. Maybe you're different than me, but the problem for me is I'm not perfect. So I'm in trouble. And I imagine you're in the same boat because I've yet to meet someone that's perfect. And Jesus says, no, no, put, put it all on me. And he substituted himself in for us. And in so doing, he, did, he took everything that makes us imperfect. He took our disqualifications to have a relationship with God. He took our worst actions. He took our most disgusting thoughts. He took our mistreatment of people. He took our rejection, our selfishness. He took all of those things on himself and he went to the cross. But I love this because it's not the end of the story. He didn't just die for us. He also, he had a gift for us in exchange. He gives us, he gives us his his righteousness, which is just a fancy word meaning that Jesus gave us his right standing with God. He gave us his wholeness, his heal, healing. In exchange for your and my junk, Jesus gave us crowns. He gave us his very status so that we could be healed and made whole for eternity. And if I had to put this incredible, undeserving sacrifice into one statement and one statement for you to remember and take away today, it is simply this, that through the death of one, we have won. Because Jesus, he, he, he may have lost on the cross, but he did so willingly and as the ultimate act of love so that in the end, in the end, the final score declares us victorious. He has been victorious through the death of one. We have won. And so if this is true, if all the things I'm saying are true, if the scripture is true, then I, and I have to ask, what, what in the world are we going to do with this? What do we do with this information? I know what Caiaphas did with it, and the Pharisees did with it, and I think, how in the world did they miss it? But then I got to go, how do we miss it? Don't forget, these guys saw with their very own eyes the power that Jesus had. In fact, we saw in verse 47, they asked, they said, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. They saw it and they missed it. They could have concluded that this is the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the one. This is the one we've been reading about. This is the one because through the death of one, we could have finally won, but they didn't. They lost. And you want to know why they lost? Because they answered their own question wrong. Remember their question, what are we going to do? Well, they answered it wrong. These experts of religious law, they should have answered the question by embracing Jesus, by following Jesus. But instead, they, because of their pure selfishness and they're looking out for their own personal interest, they got it wrong and they decided to execute him. Let's get rid of the problem. But the question still remains for you and I. What are we going to do? 
you and I, because we have a choice to make. What are we going to conclude about Jesus? Because all of us have or will have to answer this question, and how are we going to respond to it? So let me, let me leave you today with these three things. Pastor Steve Cole kind of helped set the stage for this and helped me to see that you can answer this question in one of three ways. What are we going to do about Jesus? Well, you could either reject him, you could control him, or you can follow him. One of those three things is what's going to happen when you are confronted with Jesus. So, so let me tell you what it looks like to reject Jesus. Because Caiaphas had the choice, and he chose to reject and oppose Jesus. That was his right to do so. And I'm telling you, you and I have the same choice. Jesus does not and will not force you to believe in him. And you cannot reject and oppose him. You have the right to do so. But, but let, me, let me just tell you this. You might think that's the easiest answer, but it's far from the easiest answer. In fact, I want to give you a word of warning if you choose to reject Jesus today. Because Jesus will do whatever it takes to pursue you and let you know that he is near. That means sometimes those little coincidences in life or those times when you start asking questions like, man, how did that happen? Or even why did that happen? You ask those things, those may not be coincidences at all. You know, through the death of one, you have one. God goes through unimaginable lengths to show you his love. And he died in your place because through the death of one, we have one. So if you reject him, if you oppose Jesus, you can't say, you cannot say it's because God doesn't love you. That makes that argument illogical and nonsensical. You can't do that because the cross proves otherwise. So for those of you who may choose to reject Jesus, you have that right, but, but God also has the right to keep pursuing you and loving you by any means possible. Fair warning. So, you could reject him. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could. Um, choice number two, you could control Jesus. Now, this is a tricky one because some of us don't even know we're doing this. So, uh, uh, this, this commentary I appreciated said this about these religious leaders. They said the religious leaders' concern was maintaining control. Their concern wasn't whether Jesus was right or good, but how his actions would affect them. Their concern was not about the people, but about themselves. We see in them a clear and striking picture of self-centeredness. So in other words, these religious leaders may have known the scriptures, they may have given financially, they may have prayed these beautiful, elaborate prayers, but it was all in vain, because at the end of the day, they tried to control and manipulate Jesus for their own selfish gain, and that is control. It's always an expression of selfishness. To control is to always want your way. To control is always about making your life better. To control is always unhealthy. 
And while I would say it is a bad idea to reject and oppose Jesus, I would say equally it's a bad idea to try to control him. To which maybe we're not even sure we're doing that. So let me give you a little test, a quick test, to see if maybe you struggle with control. Um, Three steps. First step is this. I control Jesus when I simply use him to get what I want. Now, don't hear me wrong. It is good to go to Jesus with our needs and our desires. It is good to express to him our wants. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is when we use him to get what we want, but then we go radio silent the rest of the time. It's our act of entitlement. It's when we go to Jesus and we say things like, I deserve this. Or you should do this for me. That is always a red flag, and it's always a sign of control. The second test of control is this. I get angry with him when I go through hard times. Again, it is not wrong to be upset when you're going through a hard time. It's not wrong to even get angry as long as you're taking that angry anger to God and you lay at his feet. Okay, Okay, this isn't the kind of anger I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of anger where I'm only happy if I'm getting blessed. But if I go through a hard time, rather than falling at his feet and worshiping him, no, 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 I turn it around and I immediately question him and I doubt him and I get mad because I want my way. And I don't allow those things to draw me closer to him. I allow those things to be wedges in my relationship with him. That's Control. That's two. The third control test is this. Uh, if I, I get to pick and choose when or if I care about or help others and I want the credit for it too. So the deal is this. We expect Jesus to just do everything for me whenever I want, right? He should help me when I need help. I expect others to do that too. You drop what you're doing, you come and you help me. However, when the tables are turned... Not so much. When it comes to my life, I will help you only if it's comfortable for me, only if it doesn't cost me anything, and only if it fits into my schedule, and only if somebody is going to be there with a camera to post things on social media so that I can get credit for it because I like the attaboys. That is what's happening here. That is controlling Jesus. Sometimes we do these things and we don't even know we're doing it. This is always a red flag to watch out for. So you can reject Jesus, you can control him, or option three. This is my preferred option. I ask you to consider. You could follow Jesus. Because the good news is this, right? Through the death of one, we have won. Jesus stepped in for him, for us, and he said, I love them, take me instead. He did that. And with this comes the promise, the promise of life after death. And I praise God for this incredible hope that we have. But it not only comes with hope and a promise, it comes with an invitation. This invitation is to leave our old lives behind. That is, the old is gone the new is here. I am a new creation in Christ. I'm not the same anymore. I'm different, and I can leave that old behind, and I can go to the new, where I'm allowing Jesus to, to work and lead and guide my life. That is what it looks like 
to follow him. And we have that choice and that invitation. And when this happens, we don't have to wait for when we die to embrace eternal life. No, no, no. It happens now, here, with Jesus. New life has begun. So what are we going to do? You reject, you can control, you can follow. What did Caiaphas do? Well, he rejected and he missed it. He lost. What did the religious leaders do? Well, they tried to control and they missed it and they lost. So what are we going to do? What will you do? You reject him, control him, or follow him? You know, we come together today. In fact, I would encourage you to get your communion elements out if you would. Because we have won the death of one, we have won. Right? This is the perfect example of why we do this. Because when we take this bread and this juice that represents his body and blood, this should be my body and blood. But it's not because he stepped in and said, I, I will do this. So when we take this together, man, may it overwhelm us with gratitude for what he did. May it overwhelm us with praise and worship for what he did. May we take this time to remember and say thank you for what he did. And so Paul writes, I pass on to you for what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took some bread, then he gave thanks for it, he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And so Lord Jesus, thank you. We take this moment together or just to remember and say thank you. Thank you that you stepped in on my behalf. Or that this should have been me, but it was you. Because of your love for me, thank you. We take a moment today to remember that. Amen. Let's take the bread together. And then if you open the second layer. This is representing his blood. It says, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, Lord Jesus, again, we remember and we give thanks. Thank you for Lord, that new covenant, the old covenant that you fulfilled through your death or through your blood. I thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Lord, may we respond not as Caiaphas did. 
out of rejection. And may we not respond as the religious leaders did, out of, out of control, Lord. May we respond out of a heart of worship and praise. And may this knowledge of the death of one Lord, drive us to follow you. May it affect how we live, Lord, every single day. In your name I pray, amen. Let's take this together. So I would just, my final encouragement to you is this. When you have the choice to make of what you're going to do about Jesus, would you choose to follow him? And if you need help with that, we have a lot of people here that would love to talk to you. So I pray you have a great week, a happy 4th of July, and we will see you next weekend.